Well, good morning, Peachtree. This is most definitely a different holiday weekend from what we have experienced in the past. And, and that biblical injunction to be not afraid can certainly be ours today, even in a different holiday context. Uh, this is the first time in 50 years that the Peachtree Road Race has not been run. I dug through my closet this week and pulled out a couple of the t-shirts that I have. Uh, this is the t-shirt from the 1989 Peachtree Road Race. It's not the first year uh, I ran it, but uh, it's the oldest shirt I have in my closet. And as I was looking at it, it's pretty ratty. Uh, through the years, there have been a few other Peachtree Road Races. And, and this is last year. So uh, this year, not to run the Peachtree Road Race yesterday morning is a, a different experience for a lot of us. A lot of people out on Peachtree Road yesterday running the course of the Peachtree Road Race, even if they're not getting a t-shirt at the end of it all. You know, this holiday weekend, as we all know, is rooted in the Declaration of Independence. And I think it's appropriate for us to remember uh, the beginning of the preamble to the Declaration of Independence. A lot of us had it memorized when we were in grade school or, or junior high or, or middle school, but let's look at these words and just remember how the Declaration of Independence began. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The writers of the Declaration went on for a lot of pages, or really just one page, but a lot of words. But they wrapped up the Declaration of Independence by pretty much stacking their hands with one another. And the end of the Declaration wraps up with these words. For the support of this Declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honors. You know, when they wrote the Declaration of Independence and when they opted to sign that document, every one of those signers knew that they were putting themselves at risk. It was a, it was a dangerous proposition for them to do that. But behind that and at the heart of the Declaration of Independence, was a compassion for people. Those framers of the Declaration, the signers of the Declaration, had a compassion for the people in the 13 colonies, and they wanted to create a free society for all people. They knew that by signing that Declaration that they were functionally committing treason against the British Empire. And by committing treason, they placed themselves at risk of death. So many of those signers lost so much. They lost families, they lost property, they lost wealth. So many of them lost their lives. What they knew, and what you and I have to recognize, even this holiday weekend, is that compassion comes at a cost. It's not free. We have to pay something for it. 
You know, Jesus once told a story about the cost of compassion in the, the 10th chapter of Luke's gospel. He was encountered by a man who asked him a question and that question led to another question and that question led to a story. It's a familiar story. So together, listen with me to the word of God as it comes from the 10th chapter of Luke's gospel, verses 25 through 37. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He, that is Jesus, said to him, what's written in the law? What do you read there? The man answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, you've given the right answer. Do this, and you'll live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. When he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own ammo. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and he said, take care of him, and when I come back, I'll repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three, do you think, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Amen. May the same Holy Spirit who inspired the writing and preservation of these words inspire them for our understanding as well. That's a pretty familiar story for many of us, if not all of us. We've heard it before. And in fact, the phrase Samaritan has found its way into our cultural vernacular. Sometimes I think that because it is so familiar to us, it's easy for us to gloss over the deeper meaning of that story. So I want to share with you a different translation of the story. I need to set it up by telling you that in the 1960s, down in America's Georgia, there was a New Testament scholar named Clarence Jordan. And Jordan translated the Gospels into mid-20th century southeastern United States vernacular. For instance, instead of being born in Bethlehem in a stable, Jesus was born in Gainesville, Georgia in a trailer. Je uh, Jerusalem is represented by Atlanta. Instead of going to Passover, Jesus went to a Bible conference. Jordan translated this, and then in the later years, in the late 70s and early 80s, Tom Key, who was familiar to our congregation, got a hold of it, and with his friend Harry Chapin, you boomers remember Cats in the Cradle, Taxi. Tom Key and Harry Chapin wrote a bluegrass 
gospel stage production called the Cotton Patch Gospels. This is that version of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Take a look. And yes, this is Tom Key. One time, there was a white insurance salesman on his way to Nashville who ran out of gas. So he pulled off I-65 and flagged down the first car to come along. Unfortunately, it was a stolen one loaded with a gang of hoods. They stabbed him, robbed him, left him by the interstate for dead. The first person to come along was the president of a very large Southern denomination. When he saw the salesman, he said, Thank you, Lord. But in your sovereignty, you have appointed the state trooper to take care of these situations. <laughs> the next vehicle to come along is a $175,000 bus owned by a hot gospel quartet. <laughs> it had wall-to-wall -wall carpeting, two color TVs, and a Coca-Cola machine. They were brushing up their big hit for the year. Well, there ain't no busy signals on the salesman sprawled out by his car. They put the pedal to the metal. They had an album signing session in Nashville. They weren't about to miss. Well, just minutes before the poor guy bled to death, here comes a black truck driver on his way to North Nashville to make a delivery deadline. And when he saw the white victim, he stopped, got out, wrapped the man in an old blanket and took him off to the hospital. Now you all think about that story and behave toward everybody on this planet like you would like for everybody on this planet to behave toward you. In a nutshell, that's everything I've got to say. Behave towards everybody on this planet the way you want everybody on this planet to behave toward you. And that was 1980s when that uh, production was taped and the language and the cultural context was the 1960s. But it echoes very well the story that Jesus was telling when he talked to the man that day. Treat everyone on this planet the way you want everyone on this planet to treat you. It's another way of saying compassion comes with a cost. So, that story teaches us that we cannot love God if we do not love our neighbor. You cannot love God if you don't love your neighbor. And in today's day and age, in today's world, you and I need to shake off the mantle of comfort that we have with our lives that is leading us to be people of complacency. We simply must love our neighbor. 
treat everyone on the planet the way we want to be treated if, in fact, we really do love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Let's take a look at this story. It's, well, I've said it's pretty familiar. There are a couple of nuances that I think we need to be reminded of. The road that went from Jerusalem to Jericho was only about an 18-mile journey. But on that 18-mile journey, it dropped about 3,300 feet. So there were points along the way that that journey got rather precipitous. And there was one particular place where it narrowed and became particularly dangerous. And, and that road was well known for having gangs of bandits come out of nowhere, out of hiding, and accost people who were making their journey. Obviously, that's what happened to this man in this story. Making his way from Jerusalem to Jericho, a priest comes along, sees the man on the road, and, and passes by on the other side. That's behavior that you and I today don't expect out of the clergy. You and I expect good people to care for folks in need. This priest passes by on the other side. Now, we can explain it away by acknowledging that when the priest saw the man, he may have thought that the man was dead, and, and he knew that if he went over and he had any physical contact with the man, that it would make him ritually unclean and incapable of carrying out his priestly duties. So the priest passes by on the other side. Similarly, the Levite comes along. The, the Levite sees the man there on the side of the road and he passes by on the other side as well. The Levites were the experts in the law. They knew every jot and tittle of the Mosaic commandment. So he should know that Leviticus 19 says you love your neighbor as you love yourself, but the Levite passes by on the other side. He puts the law of God above his love for his neighbor. I saw law supersede love one night years ago. My wife, Lib, and I were out to dinner. It's when we lived on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. We were out to dinner with three other couples. Among those three other couples were an emergency room physician, an internist, an OBGYN, and a hospital administrator. While we were having dinner that night, it became obvious that one of the folks working in the restaurant, and they weren't real busy, were, this, this person was having a, a physical issue. They were in need of medical care. It was obvious. I mean, I, I'm a boy scout. I could tell that something needed to happen. This person needed medical attention. I looked at my friend, the ER doc. I looked at my friend, the interns. I looked at my friend, the OBGYN. I looked at the hospital administrator. And they all just sat there. I couldn't believe it. They didn't lift a finger. When I said, what's the deal, folks? This person needs help. They said one word, malpractice. They let law take precedent over their love for that person. I was crestfallen. I couldn't believe it. I got first aid training, but I didn't have the chops to take care of this person. We had to wait on the ambulance to come up and help out. 
Then along comes in the story a Samaritan. Now, if you're really up on your biblical history, you'll remember that Samaria is a region well north of Jerusalem where about 700 years before the birth of Jesus, when Israel was defeated by Babylon and the majority of the citizens of Israel and Judah were, were taken away to Babylon, people from Babylon were transplanted in Israel. The Samaritans were the, the leftovers of the people of Israel. They intermarried with the Babylonians and in the eyes of the good Jewish people, they kind of watered down the faith. They didn't care for God. They did not like the temple and Samaritans were absolutely despised. If you're a Georgia fan, it's a Florida fan. If you're an Auburn supporter, it's an Alabama fan. It's the kind of person you do not like. Keith Nickel, who was one of my professors in seminary and wrote a commentary on the Gospel of Luke, describes the Samaritans this way. He says they were detested half-breeds, despised defilers of true religion, abhorrent distorter of the precious heritage of the faith, loathsome perverter of covenant community. That's the way the people that Jesus was talking to that day thought about the Samaritans. And that's the person in Jesus' story that stops and helps the man on the side of the road. How would you feel if that was the kind of person who stopped to take care of you? You know, you cannot love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, if you do not love your neighbor as yourself. You can keep every one of the 617 Old Testament laws, but if you do not love your neighbor as you love yourself, you are not fulfilling any of them. And Jesus basically tells us in this story that your neighbor is not related by geography. At the end of the day, it's whoever is in need. You can do everything that your parents raised you to do. You can memorize the Westminster Catechism. You can know the song or the books of the Bible backwards and forwards. But if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, you are incapable of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Back in 1971, there was a woman who decided to join First Presbyterian Church of Pascagoula, Mississippi. Her name was Doris Smith. Doris is an African-American woman. She'd been visiting that church for a while and even got to the point that she started singing in the choir and she was placing her two daughters in the nursery. She was a single mom. And she finally came to the conclusion that she wanted to, she needed to, 
And in her soul, she was convinced that the church needed her to join that church. So she talked to Arthur Snyder, the pastor of the church, and Arthur called a session meeting to talk about allowing this woman to join the church. They had a called session meeting one night. It was 1971 in Mississippi. Segregation had been abolished, but integration had not taken place. Doris was the first African-American woman to ask to join First Presbyterian Church. I learned after his death that Arthur Schneider, the pastor, had in his pocket a letter of resignation as a pastor of that church if the session voted not to allow her to join. They did. When it was shared with the congregation that she had joined the church, it was a bit of a controversy. One man in particular, I'll just call him Doc, because he was a dentist, Doc left the church in protest. He and his wife had had six children. They had baptized all of their children. That was his church. And he didn't like the fact that a black woman was joining the church. So he went down the street and joined the Methodist church. Sometime later, Doc drifted back to First Presbyterian and by the time I became the pastor of that church, he was well entrenched again in the life of that church. In fact, his oldest son was one of my closest friends in that community. Doc started having some problems. He was so deaf he couldn't hear thunder and he was having some mobility issues and vision issues. And his family hired a young guy named Neil to drive Doc around. Doc, when he died, had over 60 years of perfect attendance at Rotary. Didn't quite have that kind of attendance at the church, I might add. But Neil was a young black man. And over the weeks and months and a couple of years that they spent together, Neil driving Doc to doctor's appointments in Rotary and here and there, they got to know each other pretty well. Neil was killed in a domestic dispute one night. A couple of days later, as Doc's family was taking care of the arrangements for Neil's service, I called his daughter and, and asked if Doc needed to ride Rotary. I was in Rotary as well. She said, yeah, so I went by and picked him up and we were on our way to Rotary that day and I remember looking at him in the car next to him and saying, Doc, sure I'm sorry about Neil. And I looked over and Doc had his head down and then he looked back up and when he did, his eyes were filled with tears. And Doc said, I never knew I could love a black man that much. Neil was the guy who came along the side of the road when Doc needed help. And Neil took care of him. And it changed Doc's heart. He became a completely different person. 
In fact, I remember one Sunday morning, the men of the church at First Pres, Pascagoula, were having a breakfast early before services. And I walked down to Fellowship Hall just to see who all was there. And about that time, Doc walked in and, and went down the line and, and got his grits and his sausage and his eggs and his biscuits. And he turned around and he looked at the room to see where he was going to sit. And there was a young black man sitting at one of those tables. As it happens, Greg was Doris Smith's son-in-law. And Doc looked around at the empty chairs that were available, went over and sat down next to Greg, set his plate down, turned to him, extended his hand, and introduced himself. I thought the Spirit of God has been at work in this man's life. See, I think the question of the story in the parable of the Good Samaritan is less who was a neighbor to the man. And today, it's much more who will you be a neighbor to? You can't do it on your own. It's only through the work of Christ in your life in my life that I am able to be a neighbor to the person in need. I can only love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength if I, if I allow Jesus to work in my heart. And if I do that, I'm really not going to worry about the cost of compassion. I'll look for the opportunity to be a person of compassion. Early this morning, down in my basement office at home, reviewing the, the work I've done on this sermon, I was reading the, the text and looking at my notes, and it occurred to me that in a spiritual sense, you and I are that person on the side of the road. Jesus is a Samaritan. He's the one we never saw coming, the one we did not expect, the one that surprised us all by taking care of us. And when he got on the cross, he paid the price for you and for me. You know what he said? He said, go and do likewise. Or as Clarence Jordan put it in the Cotton Patch Gospels, treat everyone in the world the way you want to be treated. And in a nutshell, that's all I have to say. Go and do likewise. <laughs>